it's a good day to be in church. I'm going to have to preach a little bit fast because I, I got caught up in worship, y'all. That was something else. Um, you know, we want to be, again, a space that if the Holy Spirit's moving, we're going we're gonna to create that opportunity. We're going to allow that space to see what he's doing, what he's saying, and uh, no plan uh, can't be deviated and shifted. And so we always want to create those opportunities. And, um, and uh, yeah, so now i got to try to get away from my emotions just for a second, clear my head <laughs> and preach, which is amazing. Um, but I really believe what I was sharing at the end of worship. There's something so powerful. Um, how we look at the world has to change when we follow Jesus. How we see uh, anything, whether it be wars that are happening all around the world, whether we see news um, that is, 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 is devastating and we see the headlines filled with tragedy and angst and anxiety, whether we're in personal struggle, whether our family is in struggle, whether we're dealing with death, whatever it is, there really is a mandate on our lives as Christ followers to handle struggle, pain, and adversity differently. And this series actually is really um, a proactive series so that when, if we adjust our appetites, we've been in this appetite series, if we would put in the work to adjust our appetites, to shift what we actually have an appetite for, then really focus on what are we consuming. That was week two. What are we consuming? What are we taking in? And as we go into week three, which the question this week is, what are you producing? If we can start to shift some of these things, I really believe we're making proactive, predetermined decisions that when the struggles come, what's going to come out of me, when I get pressed, what's going to come out of me is worship. When I get pressed, what's going to come out of me is prayer. When I get pressed, what's going to come out of me is more of Jesus. It almost seems like the early church, the more they were persecuted, the more they were pressed, good oil was produced. That there was something coming out of them. They're like, the, the harder you press me, the more the gospel message is going to go forward. The more goodness is going to come out of me. And there's something beautiful about that. But the reality is those stories of people getting persecuted and goodness pressing out of them, that was, uh, uh, is a byproduct, I believe, when we look at scripture, of a lot of hours of fighting battles on their knees. It's a byproduct of what's coming out of them. And so often, the parts that we can see, either right action or wrong action, and we spent a bit of time in Romans chapter 7 last week and talking about the Apostle Paul, who really dissected um, the, the, the good that he wants to do, the good that he ought to do, and then the sin he doesn't want to do, and the sin he's fighting against, and he sort of dissected those two lists. But where we land, whether it's good that comes out of us or evil, Sometimes we can focus so much on the byproduct rather than looking at, hold on, wait, wait, wait. We look at what we produced, but we don't always ask the question, why is that what came out of me? We feel shame because it came out of us if it's evil. Or we can feel pride if what came out of us is good. Like, wow, I reacted really good there. <laughs> Look at me go. Like, I'm on fire. Like, it could be pride if we attribute too much to what's produced. And we go, wow, look at what I did here. Or, man, the shame. I can't believe I did this here. We can actually miss what a life of faith is all about. That those um, are just based on actions you've already taken. Have you ever had a moment like this in your life where you're pressed or your reaction, you're like, how did that come out of me? Have you ever had like almost an out-of-body experience where you're like, who's 
talking with my mouth right now? Who's saying these words? Like, I don't want to be said. Why is this coming out? For me, this happens every single time I get tickled. Every time. Every single time. I have an out-of-body experience where I try to punch the person tickling me. It's crazy. I can't control it. Like, Buddy the Elf wants to have a tickle fight. I will punch an elf. Like, I, like, come at me, bro. Like, I do not know how to control my actions when tickled. Okay, I'm violent. And I will hurt somebody, right? And I'm like, it's not my fault. You know, like, it's not on me. Like, that's just, you chose to do that. And thank God, the older you get, the less you get tickled. It's kind of cool. I've noticed this. Like, the less you kind of move away from being tickled. Um, unless that's your thing. Like, that's, that's all cool. But I, 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 it comes out of me. I can't control it. And see, sometimes there's life, though, where we react or we say things or something comes out of us and we're like, whoa, 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 I'm so sorry. That's not who I really am. I don't know what that was. That's not who I am. But actually, we say that, especially when we regret actions. Ah, that's not who I am when we regret it. But probably a better and more accurate statement according to Scripture would be, that's not who I am working to become. Right? Actually, there's a part of me that is who I am. Because when pressed, that's what came out of me. But that's not who I'm working to become. That's not who I'm striving to be. I I'm believing in a better version of myself, and I'm working towards it. And my humanity just came out. And my humanity just came out. And interestingly enough, if our response would be, that's not who I'm working to become, how many of you know it would be a lot easier if somebody was cruel to you and that was their response, you'd actually have more grace for that person, right? We, we, we all can relate with that. Because often we know that who we say we are and, and who we really are, according to our heart, can sometimes differentiate a little bit. We're like, there's something in me. I know who I'm trying to be. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. He was talking about this tension of who he's speaking out, who he's becoming, but who at times comes out. And this is why this appetites conversation is essential for us, church. Because what we consume daily, we talked about, determines our appetites. And it either feeds or starves our souls. And these actions, what we're consuming, what we're doing within us, these actions are determining the state of your heart. And scripture uses heart all the time. And, and by accepting Jesus we understand that we receive sort of a heart transplant. And I'll go to scripture here in a moment. Which is really a figure of speech for a heart that has the capacity to actually produce something good, especially when pressed. Let's start with a couple of the prophets. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 through 10. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Ezekiel also said 30, in chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. This is a prophetic declaration from God. I will give you a new heart, though. So your heart, it's deceitful, it's wicked, and it's beyond cure. But that's why I'm not going to just sort of work on it. I'm going to give you a new heart. Like, like we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna organ transplant this thing. We're going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. 
We're going to shift this. I'm going to actually give you something that has the capacity to really do good. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. Then Jesus says this on the subject. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. What comes out of you, that's the problem. It's not the temptation, it's the action that is sin. Right? Temptation is not the issue, it's your actions. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. How many you know the list could have kept going if Jesus wanted it to, right? It could keep going here. All these evil Evils come from inside and then defile a person. How does it defile a person? When it comes out. So it comes in first, then it comes out. And for many of us, you've even had seasons where you've been able to hide what's in for a very long time. But then pressed with the right situation, you lose it. You fall apart. The facade comes down. Come on, this is why marriage is really, really hard. <laughs> because it's a lot harder to fake it to somebody that you're one with. It's a lot harder to fake it with somebody that you share a bed with. It's a lot harder to fake it with somebody that sees you every single day in the morning. Well, hold on, I'm just getting myself together. Or the evening or whenever your, your tough time of the day is. They see all of that, so it's really hard to put on a facade. It kind of strips that away. And the, but the reality is it's, it's what is on the inside coming out of you. That's where the, the defiling happens. But the heart here is a complicated topic. Often because, right, when we say heart, our mind thinks of the organ. But this is just an illustration, right? This is an illustration that's all throughout Scripture using, but there's, there, there's a connection with that organ, the heart is a necessary organ. You can't just go and get it removed like your appendix. You know what I mean? And every time I see a movie where somebody needs an appendicitis or has appendicitis, I'm always like, can I just get mine out ahead of time and just avoid the agony? Like, I feel like we should all just be taking those out. You know what I mean? Like, if we don't need them and they could make us die if we don't get to the hospital fast enough, shouldn't that just be a part of like, hey, like we go in at like age three and just have it removed? I just feel like that would just make a lot more sense. But the heart, we can't just take this out. It's, it's in us. And, and, and all of our life, we know that blood flows through the heart. It's literally pumping your very life. And so it's a beautiful illustration for the deepest parts of who you are. See, in Scripture, it's consistently used to speak to the very core of who you are. And we understand, according to what Jesus is teaching here in the book of Mark that sin is a byproduct of wrong consumption. You've been taken in the wrong things over and over and over again. You've been listening to the wrong story enough that now you believe it's the right story. You've been taken in those lies and now you believe them to be truth. You've been putting yourselves in that situation long enough and now that temptation, which there's no temptation except that which is common to man. All temptation is common. We don't have special temptations. You're not, many people are struggling with those. You gave into that temptation because wrong consumption over time, which you take in daily, led to an unhealthy heart. And sin is a byproduct of essentially perpetual wrong living and thinking. Not addressing the inputs and only focusing on the outputs. 
there was a helpful paragraph that uh, I believe we should have it up on the screen, but I'm going to read it out from Easton's Bible Dictionary, according to the heart in Scripture. It says this, according to the Bible, the heart is the center not only of spiritual activity, again, the Bible always depicts it as the, the center of your spiritual activity, but of all the operations of human life. Heart and soul are even often used interchangeably in Scripture, which is important to understand. The heart is the, essentially the home of the personal life. And hence a man is designated according to his heart. Right? That's why God says, I don't look at the outward, I look at the heart. I'm looking at the core of who you are. I'm not just looking at your facades or, or your, uh, what you want the people to see and think about you. I'm really, I'm looking at your innermost thoughts. And, and we see men like David making important declarations of search me and know me. See if I have any wicked ways inside of me, God. Search my heart. Look deep within me. And so we understand it's the home of the personal life, and we are designated according to the state of our heart. Our, our, and the process of salvation, in fact, begins in the heart by believing and receiving the testimony of God. How many of you agree with that with a good amen? Come on, salvation literally begins here by believing and receiving the testimony of God. Well, the rejection of that testimony is what hardens the heart. The rejection of the testimony, the good news, the gospel message, the, that, the more we reject that, the heart of the heart, the heart of stone. The more we receive what Jesus offers, the more the heart of flesh is possible. One that feels and sees and thinks and understands according to the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, verse 3, gives us a helpful clue as well. It says this, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Leave that up there for just a second. This is vital. So essentially, when you have a heart of stone, the born again is where you get the new heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. When you have that heart of stone, you are incapable of seeing the world according to the kingdom of God. He's literally saying it's impossible. And, and, and yet we wonder, it's like we so often will hold people who don't have a heart of flesh accountable to our heart of flesh. It's like, no, no, guys, they, it's impossible. How could they have that kind of depravity? How could they ever resort to that kind of sin? How could anybody get so broken that they would do evil things in the world and take life and do all this? Because they are incapable of seeing the kingdom of God. Which if that doesn't give you a little bit of motivation to help people to replace that heart of stone, to actually within the heart do the heart work of accepting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I don't know what will. But it's not like, well, can't they see part of it? No, 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 they cannot see it. They are spiritually blind to what's really going on in the world. And so they'll be swayed by every new topic or idea or concept. And, and they're going to fight their battles like the world, not like Jesus. They can't even see because they don't have that heart of flesh. So essentially what we outlined in weeks one of two of our series was heart work. Hey, it's so great. I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I got this heart of flesh. What am I feeding it? What am I consuming? What am I taking in? Am I hungry for the things of his kingdom? And unfortunately, I think every single one of us would wish that that receiving of that heart of flesh meant we never again craved what our heart of stone did. <laughs> but it's just not the case. This is this progressive work of sanctification saying, i got to work out my faith and fear and trembling over time. 
And Jesus kind of put a bow on this whole topic with a crystal clear, no-brainer, illustrative word picture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. I know we got a lot of scripture today. You guys okay with a lot of Bible? Is that, I think that's okay in church, right? So Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, he says this. And this is its own section. And he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, here it is again, inside their heart, there they are ferocious wolves. But by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You think he's making a point here? He's like saying it multiple ways. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He's making it so clear that there are a lot of people, this easy mental picture that they are a wolf in sheep's clothing, which has been illustrated in fairy tales and stories, and the wolf puts on the sheep's clothing and tries to get close to the sheep and coax the sheep so he can eat the sheep and devour the sheep. But there's this reality that on the surface, on the outward, at the initial viewing, it looks like a heart of flesh must be there. They're saying the right things. They're doing some of the right things. Seems to be good. But Jesus gives us this absolute clue, one, on how to discern other people, but also how many of you know that the more important thing is how to discern what's going on in ourselves. Because it's really easy to be like, where are the false prophets? I'm going to find them. Like, right, we go on the hunt and we're like thinking it's everybody else, but we are looking at the speck in their eye while not seeing the plank in our own. See, the bigger issue is, would you actually be willing to admit that there are moments where you've donned the sheep's clothing and really there was a wolf on the inside of you? And maybe the heart work hadn't happened and you pursued a position or a role or, or a place in someone's life that you weren't ready to help with and you were doing it for the wrong reasons and if you were being really honest with yourself, your motivations were impure and so you've been driving something or pushing for something and in your own way you came in and didn't realize it but there's a part of you that's going to do more damage than help because you didn't take time to assess the fruit of your life and go, am I ready for something like that? Should I speak right now? Now, is this a moment I should raise my voice? It's a lot easier to look for false prophets in other people, but it's tough to look at it and go, have I been false at times? Have, okay, people say uh, Christians are hypocrites, and I think it's a lazy statement. Uh, most healthy Christians I've met are not hypocrites. They are people who are desperately saying, I'm working to be a better version of myself. But it's the ones who claim some sort of perfection while being evil on the inside that creates that label. But it's, I think it's an important moment to say, has there been any hypocrisy in my life? Has there been moments where I've been this hypocritical word picture of a wolf in sheep's clothing? You see, remember, without the new heart that God offers, you cannot even see the kingdom. You cannot live with a kingdom mindset. You can only pretend. And so over time, that heart of flesh is tested by what is produced. It's tested by what comes out of you. 
It's tested, uh, right? It's never our job to declare someone's eternity. We don't need to argue if someone's saved or not. I've never seen Christians practice the discussion of whether or not someone's going to spend eternity in heaven and speculating themselves. And, and I've, ever, I've never considered that a healthy conversation. I've never seen that go somewhere productive. That is not our job. We are not the judge of eternity or salvation. That's not our role. But absolutely, Jesus is saying, but be careful, you need to look at the fruit of people's lives. We don't promote because of talent. We don't promote because of, of personality. We promote over fruit. We look at the production. What is, is their character? What does the character look like? What's the integrity look like? Do they have some longevity of doing good things? What is that? And in my own life, what am I producing? What's coming out of me? You see, the early church actually took this conversation very seriously. Very seriously. And part of the reason why is they were under severe persecution. And right now in the Middle East, many churches are in a very similar situation again. And, and it's, their lives are on the line if they include someone into their home church. And so the testing of someone's heart is rigorous. It's not just like with nobody looking around, slip your hand up quietly. They're like, no, 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 that won't cut it. Because if I'm going to risk my family and my relatives and everyone else's lives, I'm going to test the fruit of yours. Like I got to make sure you've actually seen some heart change. Because otherwise you're going to turn us in. Otherwise the moment you're pressed, you're going to give in. And so the early church was in a similar situation where persecution was rising up. And they had, to, they had all these different symbols and different ways that they would mark whether or not you were a Christian or a believer. They had to do much in secret. So because of this, they spent a lot of time not just testing people's words, but testing their actions. Not just testing um, how people wanted to be perceived, but what they were actually producing. Are you ready for this? Um, Barna released a conversation and some studies that they've done with some of the best scholars in the world that actually were researching the early church this whole period. And they discovered that the, 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 the typical amount of catechism required to be water baptized in the early church, this is just post your Acts story, the early church was 140 hours. 140 hours of being taught doctrine being taught about Jesus and trying to test the fruit of their lives. And then after 140 hours, okay, now we will water baptize you. Because they had to take time. And in 140 hours, this was the thing they thought. Either one, we're going to discern that, hey, they actually didn't really accept Jesus and they were sent here as a spy to come in and, 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 and actually hurt us. Or even if they are a spy, we believe that after 140 hours of the doctrine of Jesus, they're going to love him by the end of it. I see, we love to talk about like Acts 2, like moments in the early church. Like, I want the moments again. I want those brief moments where the Spirit moves in power. We love to pursue those, but we don't like to talk about the work and the persecution and the effort and the time and the discipline and the fasting and the prayers and the, the moments and that they were going to church like every day and that they had all things in common. We don't want to talk about the sacrifice of the early church. We just want to have the supernatural experiences of the early church. But when you study them, they were committed they were disciplined. They, they, they were saying, hey, hey, hold on. We need to make sure, do we have sound doctrine? Do people understand? Are they biblically literate? And we need to train and test 
the fruit. We are not the judge of their eternity, but Jesus instructed us that we're going to know false prophets by their fruit. So we're going to watch the fruit. And if they produce good fruit, and when they get pressed, goodness comes out of them, check. That's it. I know there's goodness in their heart. They must have the heart of, the heart of flesh because they see the kingdom of God. What they produce has shown that their appetite and what they're consuming is good. And so really the reality is you can't excuse away what is exposed. Sometimes we want to have excuses for everything, but when our weakness and our issues and our problems get exposed, it's a lot harder to excuse them away because what we're producing is something that, ah, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I'm trying to become. Our actions and our motives expose where we're really at. And again, sometimes we can cover it for a while, we can hide it for a bit, but there's something so beautiful about going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, right, I'm trying to shift my appetite. I'm trying to consume daily better habits, but I just, I, I want you to do the heart work, the hard work so that I can produce good fruit in my life. Can I be honest? I absolutely love that the illustration Jesus chose is fruit. Here's why I love this. Because fruit is one of the only things I know of that's both sweet and healthy. Come on, it tastes good. Like fruit's good. We all like fruit. I don't have to fight my kids to eat fruit. They love clementine oranges. Why? Because it's sweet and it's good for them. It doesn't give them a stomachache, but it also tastes good. There's something amazing about fruit. We love fruit because it is both sweet and healthy. And I want to produce things in my life that are appealing to other people. When they experience us and our preaching of the gospel and our sharing of the gospel, and if they get around us, are we, do we feel both sweet and healthy? Some of you are like, I got some healthy, I got, I got some like grape nut type cereal you need to eat dry. And you just need to crunch on grape nuts. <laughs> You're just like feeding them dry. Like here's some, it's like, come on. We can be both sweet and healthy. Oh, but they need to hear this part. Like, no, it's sweet and healthy. The spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And so some of our lives, we have this intensity. We're giving them like almost like stale fruit, dry fruit not tasty for it. No, this should be something that's both beautiful and delicious to people's souls as they consume it. Does it call us to a high standard? Yes. Is it hard work? Absolutely. But do we believe there's a reward? Do we believe in the reward? I did a sermon in 2023 on pruning. And I told the story, we had just planted um, uh, six apple trees on our property. We planted them not knowing it was going to take three years to get apples. We're like, wait, hold on. <laughs> three years? <laughs> like, this was a lot of work. And how much, how much work do I have to do? How much effort? But how many of you know the goal is something delicious? The goal is something beautiful. There's work, there's time, and we don't always get to that immediately. Have you given up too soon? Have you adjusted your consumption only to go back to old habits? Or have you actually gotten to the point where you started to produce something beautiful and produce something amazing? And watch as everybody around you gets blessed. Something I see in Jesus, everyone who got close to him, felt loved, felt encouraged, got healed, got blessed. Why were there mobs trying to get around this man? Because he was both sweet and healthy. 
He had good fruit. He had something to feed him. He always had something to feed people. What are you producing with your life? So shifting appetites is adjusting desires, but we can't stop there. When we talk about producing, it's saying I'm not going to stop at adjusting desires. I'm going to start adjusting my decisions. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to actually make godly decisions. I'm going to watch because it's actually what comes out of me that has the opportunity to defile me. So I'm going to do right actions. I'm going to move in the direction of right actions. As I consume what is good and healthy, I'm going to actually shift my decisions. And I'm going to adjust my actions. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says this. It says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Good. I like that word. Good. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in where? His heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You are outed by your words. You are outed by your actions. Our hearts are exposed. And none of us, none of us are free from this passage. Where we've all had those moments where we go, why did I say that? Why, Jesus, were those the words that came out of my mouth? Rather than beat yourself up with shame, condemn yourself, go, okay, what didn't I do? What didn't I take? What, what battle didn't I fight on my knees? What effort, what proactive decision did I miss to produce evil like that? That's not your desire. I, you know, I, I don't think that people just wake up one day pure evil. I believe it's a progressive work of making wrong decisions on a consistent basis. Wrong experiences, not adjusting these things. And eventually, what is produced is evil. And evil things come up out of the evil stored in the heart. And in the same token, good things stored up out of a good heart come out of a good person. And I believe God has called us to have a heart of flesh and to produce good for the world that is both sweet and healthy. It is helpful. It is loving. It is caring. It is kind. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's full of love. It's got joy. It's got peace. It's got patience. It's got goodness. It's got kindness. It's got self It's got the fruit. Come on, it's got something good for the world around us. It's worth the effort. Your family needs it. You need it. Your friends need it. The lost people of our community needs it. Your workplace needs it. You were made to produce what is good. But when you live by the heart of stone, it's impossible. But when you operate by the heart of flesh, all of a sudden good begins coming out of you. And as the keys come on up, last week I gave a challenge that we were going to go into a time of fasting as a church. And um, ask you to be in prayer about it, to consider what maybe God might challenge you to fast. And uh, we're going to do um, a really focused seven-day fast. And uh, we're working on different, dropping different encouragements via social media for you during this time. Different tips, different things like that to help you along with a fast. And some of you guys might be here and you've never actually done an organized fast. And they're all different lengths, right? We see Jesus fasted for 40 days. Um, it's common for people to do a 21-day fast. 
Um, and, but we're going to go into a seven-day fast. We're going to go into a week. And, uh, and then we're going to be able to break our fast together after um, uh, w- with communion next Sunday. And, uh, and then go into the next week. It's going to be a powerful moment. But when it comes to fasting, do you realize what you're doing is by fasting, you're feeding your heart of flesh, not your heart of stone. So you're, you're, you're feeding your spirit. You're saying, I'm actually starving the thing I have an appetite for that I know is hurting me. See, this appetite series helps us to understand fasting more. What is the thing that you crave that hurts you? And what are you doing that reminds you of it and leads you to it? That's a great place to start with a fast. What is it that I give into, that I crave, that I need to just stay away from for a week? What is that inroad? What is that thing that I feed that I just know leads me more towards the evil I don't want to do, not the good I ought to do? See, the fasting is saying I'm going to starve one perspective, this worldly perspective, seeing my life through the kingdom of the world, and instead I'm going to fuel and fill and build the part of me that needs to see the kingdom of heaven. Because it's only with a heart of flesh that I can see the kingdom. I want to see the kingdom of God. And I want to be focused on the kingdom of God. I don't want to be focused on all the things that are coming at us. I don't want to be focused on the news. I don't want to be focused on the negativity. I don't want to be focused on the critical spirits. I don't want to be focused on my anger. I don't want to be focused on my frustrations. I don't want to be focused. I want to be focused on producing good fruit. So I'm going to make proactive decisions. So the idea of fasting is I'm starving one thing to actually fuel the other. And right now it's really common, um, you know, it, it is, it's great practice for um, d- people who do uh, fasting for, you know, um, within their exercise and their workouts and for a health thing. And that's valuable. It's really, really valuable. But this is something different. This is saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm trying to starve the part of me that just keeps coming up. Like, I'm so sick of reacting that way. I'm, why don't I have patience, God? Why don't I have patience? I want more of that. What fruit of the Spirit are you missing? Have you been lacking joy for a long time? Like, God, where's my joy? You need to go into a season of fasting and be reminded of the things that you can have joy about. Have you been lacking self-control? What's the thing you can't say no to? Say no to it for a week. I'm going to tell you something. I am a pastor that will celebrate any progress in your life. If you've been addicted to something for three years and you give it up for a week, I'm going to celebrate. I'll throw a party for you. You better believe it. At Artisan Church, we will celebrate progress over perfection. But some of you need to realize and see that you could do it for a week. Oh, well, Pastor Tim, if I can't give it up for six months, then, then I'm, a, I'm a garbage person. No, do make a goal you can actually meet. Realize what you are capable of. I believe you can do this. What can't you say no to? What are you stuck in a rut with? What fruit of the Spirit are you lacking? Are you not gentle? Do you feel violent? What's fueling that? Oh, well, Pastor Jim, I I just love, love violent movies and shows. Okay. 
Maybe there's something there. Maybe it's fueling something in you, and that's something. Well, it's fine for them. That doesn't make them violent. Okay, but it makes you violent. See, what we love to do is we love to justify things because it's, a, it's not a problem for them. Can we just be reminded, there's no temptation except that which is common to man, but yet they do vary from person to person. You can go find somebody. If you feel violent after watching violent shows, you can find somebody else that does. There's going to be another person that's like, I feel nothing. <laughs> I don't know. What is feeding it? What is feeding it? I can't control my thoughts. I just have so many impure thoughts running through my head all the time. Okay, what's feeding it? Well, I mean, I'm not like full on looking at porn. I'm just kind of like scrolling through like Instagram. Stop feeding it. Stop feeding it. What's feeding it? What's putting you in that place? And fasting is an opportunity to change your consumption in an aggressive way. And you're going to get to see the byproduct of what we're talking about. You're going to see that you can control your appetite, that you can control your consumption. And then if you do it for an extended period of time, you're going to produce good fruit. And that this is worth it. And next week, we'll get to talk about the best part, is that when you start producing good fruit, you get to bless other people. And it gets really fun. It gets really, really awesome. And actually, Scripture, we're again, we'll talk about it next week, but Scripture helps us to understand we don't just fast for us. There's a greater motivation to it. So I'm going to give you just some simple keys that have helped me for fasting. And then we're going to close. Number one, have a plan. Make a plan. If you don't write it down or uh, like detail it out and figure it out, you're probably not even a week. It's, it's only seven days, Pastor. I don't need a, an aggressive plan. Depends. Well, if seven days sounds really short to you for fasting, then maybe you need to fast something a little more extreme. Maybe you need to go to a liquid fast for seven days. That's what I did last year, right? And all of a sudden you go liquid fast for seven days. That sounds really hard. Okay, do what sounds hard. Do what sounds hard. Don't do what sounds easy. Choose the hard thing for seven days. If it just sounds like I could do that in my sleep, that's the wrong thing. <laughs> what is hard to fast? What is hard to give up? So have a plan. Write it down. Make a decision. Don't rush this. Take time today. Pray about it. Hopefully you already did this week. Number two, and I understand Jesus teaches and he was correcting behavior, especially from the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were very public in their fast and they would make themselves look like forlorn and haggard and, and just like put ash all over their face and they draped themselves on the street corners to tell everyone that they were fasting and how spiritual they were. And so he said, hey, actually, when you fast, clean yourself up. Don't complain. Don't whine to everybody. Oh, fasting, fasting, fasting. Oh, I can't. Oh, you're going to Chipotle? That's awesome. Wish I could go to Chipotle. I'm fasting today. He said, don't do that. But, but it doesn't mean, and he says, you know, you don't need to proclaim it to everybody. But I have found accountability helps in a fast, especially if they're fasting too. Hey, what are you fasting? This is what I'm fasting. Hold me to it so I can text you when it's hard. Okay, and again, if you don't ever need to text somebody because it's never hard, you didn't pick the right fast. It should be hard enough where at some point you go, this would be helpful for me to like call a buddy or call a friend. Get accountability. And determine the purpose. Um, there's all different types of fasts. Um, People, uh, we, we, we see people fast to get back to God after they, they've left him for a while. We see people fast to get a word from God. We see people fast as repentance. We see people fast for all sorts of reasons. Jesus, he actually fasted to make sure that he had control. Notice the devil tempted him with arrogance and power. And so he actually fasted so he would have, I mean, imagine if you were Jesus 
and you went public in your ministry, and in three years you have the largest ministry on the planet, it'd be really easy to feel good about yourself, healing people and miracles. So he had to do a fast to make sure he had died to the flesh desires of fame and notoriety and the desire to come on a white horse and fight for the victory. Right? He had to put those desires aside. There was a focus so that when he went public in his ministry, he had the humility to carry himself to the cross. And so it's, it, there's all different types in Scripture but actually understanding what, what am I trying to accomplish here and what am I attacking? Because if you try to fast to fix all the problems in your life you're facing right now, you're going to feel real discouraged. Pick one. Fight, fight one this week. Say in the next seven days we're fighting for this. I'm fighting about this. You can fast for something. Maybe you need to fast because there's something happening in your body. You need healing. Or somebody, often people would fast for someone else even. I'm going to pray and fast for you for breakthrough. Lots of purposes you could choose. And then the final one's just really obvious. Stick it through. Go to the end. Don't give up. Make it. Do it. Do a difficult fast for seven days. Shift your appetite. Change your consumption patterns. And watch what gets produced. Amen? Amen. Let's take a time. Let's pray as the prayer teams come forward. You can stand to your feet. Let's close out in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that with you all things are possible according to your kingdom. So we want to align with your kingdom. So God, whatever that hard thing is that you're challenging us to do right now, we believe that those things are possible with you. So we invite you in to help us, to aid us, to strengthen us, to see it through. And God, whatever it is that we need to adjust, I pray we would stick to it. Stick to it. See it through to the end. And watch as testimonies are going to come out next Sunday as we break our fast together. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. And we honor you. And everybody in the house of love, Jesus said, amen. Amen. Well, the prayer teams are here. If you need prayer for anything could pertain to the message, fasting, could be something else going on in your life that you want to be lifted up. We invite you to come forward, get prayed over. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for our final week of our appetite series. I love you, church. We'll see you later.